We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. For those of you out there that are, you know, watching the games and, you know, trying to figure out why we're missing shots and why this is happening, you know, we understand we're professional athletes. We need to make shots. We have to make shots. And, and Damon and I will going forward. And that's what it's going to take for us to win games. They just going out there and hooping, man. Ben Simmons is out there hooping, running up and down the court, making highlight plays, dunking, yelling, playing off the crowd. And I think they're a scary team to, to face. It is a legitimate thing to say that Victor Oladipo should be an all-NBA player. And that is with respect to the assortment of great guards this league has. One of the factors that's underrated in this is being wanted, being needed, and being loved. I think Indiana has empowered him. Welcome back to the third official episode of Pull Up. I'm CJ McCollum, guard from the Portland Trail Blazers, and my homie Jordan Schultz will be joining us shortly. But first, I want to talk a little bit about Game 1. First and foremost, shout out to Rip City fans for coming out in full force, supporting us, you know, cheering us on. Obviously, the game didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, but you know, we're appreciative of your support, and we promise to have a better effort, a better showing, a better efficiency, uh, less lulls, more execution, all that stuff in game two. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to, to play in front of you guys again. Uh, obviously, you know, New Orleans played a great game. They executed well. Uh, AD had a tremendous game. Obviously, Drew Holiday made an impact, and a lot of other guys stepped up. But, you know, I'm happy with uh, the way we were able to fight back, obviously. Uh, we had some good looks as a team. Uh, I look forward to, to game two and, and getting back out there and, and playing in front of you guys and, and showing you guys exactly how appreciative we are. Uh, Jordan, welcome aboard. CJ, always good to be here, man. Uh, I appreciate you joining us once again, baby. We've had a great run so far with number three uh, on deck right now as we speak. Uh, just There's a lot for us to discuss uh, with regards to the playoffs, free time, scouting, film, relaxation, steam rooms, and much more. Speaking of playoffs, what's been the most exciting series you've, you've seen so far? Besides us, of course. I thought Houston, yeah, well, I mean, that's a no-brainer, but I, I thought Houston, just watching them rediscover whatever it is that they did not have down the stretch. You know, James Harden was fantastic, but what Clint Capella did for them, rim running, he looked like the All-NBA center, not Carl Anthony Towns. That was really impressive to me. I wonder for you, are you able to watch now other series? Like, how, how does that happen for you? Yeah, I'm able to watch, you know, in between film sessions, in between practices and treatment. Uh, it's always good to check out some of the other games. you got friends on other teams, and uh, this is the, the funnest time of the year for us as basketball players to be able to see everyone competing at a high level on the biggest stage. And there's definitely been some great games. That Boston game was, was amazing. We were, we were practicing, so we weren't, we weren't able to see it live. But being able to, to see the recap, the replays that uh, ESPN TNT put on, uh, Terry Rozier hit a big shot, and then Middleton, you know, hit another huge shot with 0.5 seconds left to force in overtime. So uh, that was a, a very interesting game. And then I got to check out some of uh, my homie Victor Oladipo uh, playing well against the Cavs uh, the other night. So it's been a very, very interesting, entertaining series so far, and I'm sure it's all, it's only going to get better. And uh, as an athlete, as a competitor, you can only watch so much film of yourself, of the team you're playing. You know, break down plays before 
you know, you get paralysis by analysis and you have to kind of step away and uh, take a break. So yeah, that's kind of what I've done. And, you know, I got a, a set of TV shows I like to watch, too, to kind of mix it up a little bit. Oh, we know CJ loves TV. You're not in the network television, right? I can watch network television, depending on what it is. But uh, obviously, I'm watching Billions. I got some shows I watch on Netflix and a nice rotation on my <laughs> iPad to kind of keep me keep me up to speed on what's going on outside of basketball. This Is Us is, is really good. I'll have to check that out. I'll add it to the list. What's it about? This Is Us. The fact that you don't know this show, it, it's sad. And again, you know, you're, you're so tunnel vision with this Billions show that you don't... You, you're not giving yourself the full-on experience. I, I give network television a hard time, but This Is Us is, it's NBC, I think. It's really great. It's, it's about a family that, you know, has, like any other family, an assortment of different issues, and they tell a great story going back, like, 20 years to when these guys were kids, and then to now, one of them was adopted, to a, a young African-American kid was adopted into a white family who had two kids and it's just a really really cool show and it i think it's relevant and they do a great job of telling a story so i, I feel like that needs to get into your rotation i'll definitely add in a rotation we're going to be traveling here in the next few days uh to head to new orleans so i'll make sure i, I add it to the rotation give me something to watch on the planes give me something to watch in between nap time and and breaking down film so i appreciate that recommendation yeah, well of course so give me a sense you talk about film like i i, I wonder for you What's the balance of watching film and breaking mistakes down and then comparing that to just recognizing that this is a make or miss league and that you and Dane didn't enjoy your normal shooting games? Yeah, I mean, breaking down the film, you know, first you watch your minutes, you're watching the actual game flow, you know, you're checking out matchups, picking roles, you're kind of breaking down each situation, each particular part of the game just to kind of figure out, you know, what happened why it happened, and how you can improve upon it. So you do that first, and then you kind of obviously meet with your individual coaches and kind of break down certain things individually as well as for the team to figure out how you can approach the next game and how you guys can take advantage of certain situations. So you go through that process, and then you just have to be realistic and, and honest with yourself, honest assessment. You know, how did I play, you know, defensively? How are the schemes? You know, how was my pick-and-roll coverages? How active were the hands? And then you go to offensive end, you know, did I make my teammates better? You know, what type of shots was I getting? You know, uh, how can I improve upon this? And you know, breaking down the film, I think the first half I went 0 for 6 or 0 for 7, and three of the shots were, I, I think they'd be considered wide open on synergy based on someone not being within two feet of you. So you know, I can live with, you know, missing those type of shots because I understand, you know, majority of the time they're going to go in. I'm, I'm about a 45% three-point shooter on catch-and-shoot situations regardless of if it's covered or not. So being open, i got to knock those down, and I will, you know, moving forward. So looking at stuff like that, you know, how, how was my pick-and-roll play? Did I score in pick-and-rolls? Were they double-teaming me? How was the coverages? Looking at the help side, just kind of break everything down. Did I get to the free-throw line? And I shot one free-throw in the game. I think Damon and I combined for three. Nurk probably had four or five. So just figuring out how the game's being called. Can you get to the line more? Who's guarding you? And just kind of figuring out their tendencies. But there comes a point in time where you can only watch so much film. There's only so much preparation you can have in terms of breaking down the situations to where you go out there and you just got to hoop. So, you know, for those for those of you out there that are, you know, watching the games and, you know, trying to figure out why we're missing shots or why this is happening, you know, we understand we're professional athletes. We need to make shots. We have to make shots. And, and Dame and I will going forward. And that's what it's going to take for us to win win games. You know, for us to, you know, be a combined one for 15 at halftime and 
only be now d- down nine points shows you that a lot of other guys stepped up. You know, our, our role players played extremely well. Our bench was great. They were plus for the game and uh, made a huge impact, you know, on both sides of the floor. So I'm really looking forward to game two and understanding that, you know, a lot of the work has been done, the film, the preparation, the workouts, the treatments, the steam rooms, the cold tubs, and the sleep. So now it's just about hooping. I mean, New Orleans does a lot of things well. They're They're not a team that, you can just play one way. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we talked about Drew and some of the things he can do in pick and roll. And, and obviously your affinity like mine and many others for Anthony Davis. So with New Orleans, like, can you realistically look at them and say, you know, this team does this or this team does that? Like, are you putting them in a box of how to beat them one way? Or can you just... Like, you know what I mean? So, like, how, I guess, what's your plan of attack and, and how do you improve it? Yeah, we'll be all right. We're just going to continue to follow the coach's game plan, you know, make shots, defend at a high level. I think we held them to 97 points or something around there. So, you know, defensively, we're doing things the right way. You just got to try to prevent those second chance opportunities, prevent the easy baskets, and, you know, understand that we all know each other's plays. They know our sets, we know their sets. So, it's just more about, you know, figuring out how to combat that and just making it tough. You know, NBA players are going to make tough shots. AD's going to hit tough shots. Drew's going to hit tough shots at times. So just got to figure out ways to, to make it tough on them, understand that they're going to push the pace. You know, Mirchich, you know, he impacted the game. He made some threes in transition. Um, he did some different things uh, that hurt us. So just figuring out, yeah. you know, ways to slow down their pace. Rondo's a great passer. He's seeing the floor. He had 17 assists. Uh, he impacted the game on both sides of the ball and kind of kept everybody in order, you know, ran the show, facilitated, allowed Drew to get off the ball some. So uh, they're a good team. They propose a lot of different problems, but uh, we're looking forward to the challenge. I want, I'm glad you hit on Rondo. He, he's, he's the rare point guard in today's NBA that he can kill you without scoring, and he can control the tempo, control the pace to what he wants. He's not a three-point threat, and he's always looking to pass, whether it's transition, pick and roll, um, you know, lobs. So give me a sense of what it's like to guard a guy that is not necessarily looking to score from an offensive uh, or from a point guard perspective. And also he's not like one of these hybrid guards at six, seven, you know, he, he's just a guy that really knows how to play. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of looking at like looking at the Sixers, obviously Ben Simmons is six eleven, and he's a rookie and doesn't right. have that playoff experience or that, that hall of fame background that Rondo has right now. But he impacts the game in a, in a similar fashion. He, he pushes the ball. He advances the ball ahead. He's an extension of the coach. Obviously, Rondo's knowledge of the game is, is probably a little bit more large, large of a sample size because of championships, playing with Doc, playing with Ray, playing with KG, some of those players, and being in different organizations to where he understands the game and he's like a chess player out there. He, he's an extension of the coach and does a great job of facilitating, making the right plays, and uh, doesn't try to score much, but it will if it, if the opportunity presents itself. You know he'll try to turn the corner or shoot the floater or pull up if it's there. But I think the biggest thing is that he just has a high IQ. He understands the game. He understands you know defensive tendencies, offensively. You know where he wants certain players at, and he kind of manipulates you know the game. Whereas looking at that Philly series, uh, the Sixers got a lot of players that don't have playoff experience, so they're kind of just out there you know playing, uh, playing off of the fans, not necessarily understanding. You know how big, how important these games are. I mean, obviously, JJ's played in big games. Marco Bellinelli's played in big games, but you know Ben's dominating. He he was very effective in Game One. Markel Fultz made an impact. Um, Covington made an impact. There's a lot of guys in you know, Dario Saric who haven't played in playoff games 
and are, are playing extremely well. And you got to credit their preparation, their work ethic, and then, you know, being at home always helps. Yeah, Rondo finished with 17 assists. He had nine points, but totally controlled the tempo of that game at his pace. Uh, in terms of being completely prepared, I'm not sure there's a more prepared team uh, on a game-to-game basis in Boston. CJ, what Brad Stevens gives them is remarkable, and they've lost their two best players, obviously, with Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. They've also lost some ancillary pieces. Uh, imagine if you guys lost you and Dane. I mean, that's essentially what's happened with Boston, and yet they're competitive and they're already up 1-0 in the playoffs. So just talk about Brad Stevens as a coach, special situations, in and out of timeouts, what he gives them and how impressive that is. I'm not surprised at all at those results. Um, Boston is an extremely well-coached team. They play hard. They execute under pressure and in pressure situations. And, you know, they've been through this all season. You know, they've been without Kyrie. Obviously, Gordon Hayward went down very early on in the season. And guys have been in and out of the lineup to where you know, different guys have stepped up. Obviously, Terry Rozier has been great. Shout out to my guy from Ohio. You know, he's played extremely well. He's hit some pressure shots. Um, <laughs> he's, yeah. And they've been there. Jason Tatum played extremely well in his, in his playoff debut. He was effective and efficient. Jalen Brown, you know, was getting to the cup, sh- showing his versatility. And Al Horford, you know, was Mr. Do-It-All like he has been all season, rebounding, you know, locking up on defense, you know, offensively being able to initiate the offense, play off the pinch post, and score in isolation situations. I think um, Boston has done this all year. They keep the games close, and then in the end they, they out-execute you, get, in, get more stops than you, and score. So uh, I'm not surprised at the result. I think Milwaukee played a good game. Giannis was efficient and effective. Chris uh, Middleton hit some some huge shots and was able to force the game in overtime. But overall, I think Boston didn't play well in the first half. Looking back on the film, they played a lot better in the second half. And um, they executed. They always execute and they always play hard. So those are two things that are going to keep them in position to be within arm's reach of any game. CJ, I know Terry Rozier is your boy from Ohio. What he did... Eric Bledsoe at the end of regulation to hit what we thought was the game-winning three-pointer. That step back, the way that he shed blood, that was remarkable because the physical differences between those two guys, you can easily see. You know, Bledsoe is more developed in the upper body. He's, he's, he's a real pro. Rozier's still getting his sea legs, if he will, as an only second-year guy. But he's not your prototypical lead guard. He's kind of a combo guy. But just tell me about Terry and what he brings to the table. Yeah, I think there's definitely a difference between those two players um, looking at their body types and looking at, you know, how they how they manage and operate a game. They're, but they're both freak athletes. You know, that's for certain. You know, Terry's a freak athlete. He's fast. He's able to change directions, you know, in a hurry. Uh, as you've seen down the stretch of that game, he called a play and bled, you know, heard the play. Understanding, you know, we all pay attention in our in our scouting meetings and we have notebooks and iPads on everything. So Bled heard the play call and kind of cheated the play, and Terry countered it and uh, broke the play and went into a step back and hit a big three down the stretch. And that just kind of shows you that, you know, we all know the X's and O's, but then it just comes down to, you know. Right, making a basketball play. Right, making a basketball play, that creative freedom, that that creative side of the brain. uh, They always say there's a creative side of the brain, the math and science part, using the creative side of your brain to to just adjust, you know, make counters uh, and just – figure out ways to get the job done. I think Terry did that last game. I think Bled will continue to get better as the as the series goes on. I think he got in foul trouble. He picked up a fifth foul with about 10 minutes left, and that kind of hurt his aggressiveness and you know took away from his rhythm. Having to go in and out of the game with foul trouble can definitely impact you a lot. But I think that's going to be a very good series. It's going to continue to be competitive, and 
Um, you know, when you got Giannis on the court, he's able to impact the game in so many different ways. You always have a have a fighting chance. But looking at some of the other series and and how competitive this playoff is, Donovan Mitchell, you know, his first playoff game, he was he was sensational, but he he faced a little injury. You know, he got a little foot contusion going on, so I'm not sure, you know, what's going to happen with game two. I mean, it's, if it's up to him, I'm sure he plays. I'm sure the staff is is probably being more cautious trying to figure out, you know, the long-term damages that could come of, of this or if he's just able to go out there and play. But I think injuries will impact, you know, all series, uh, foul trouble, aggressiveness in, in, in certain quarters for certain guys, depending on, you know, how the series is going. All those things are going to going to impact it. And, you know, looking at the Eastern Conference, it was a it was a lot of competitive games that that Washington Raptors game was was good. Came down to the stretch. John got to the basket a couple of times and there was some no calls. And uh, next thing you know, they're down, you know, four or five points. But Fred Van, with Fred Van Fleet coming back, what type of impact you think he's going to have now that DeLon Wright established himself in game one? Yeah, I really like Fred Van Fleet. You know, he was undrafted, obviously had a great career at Wichita State, but he he had the opportunity that a lot of second-round picks just don't have, which is he could pick where he wanted to go, ends up going to the Toronto system, wins a G League title last year, um, and then has an opportunity to now play his way, not only into the league seat, but now has a starring role as a backup guard who gives them a change of pace. You know, DeLon Wright is a bigger guy. He's really athletic. He can shoot it, but but Fred Van Fleet's a 41% three-point shooter. He can pass by pick and roll. He's a pesky defender, a pick-up full court, just like Delon Wright. He can do a lot of things. So I think he'll really help them, and I think he gives them another dimension that they just don't have. Yeah, I agree. I think Toronto's been great. Their bench unit has been tremendous, and that's been the difference in their success you know, this season, being able to still play well, stay afloat while Kyle and DeMar are out of the game. And DeLon hit some big shots. They, they get into you defensively. They pressure in pick-and-roll situations and have some rim protectors that can challenge things at the rim. So I mean, that's going to be a very interesting series to continue to watch for fans out there that are interested in the Eastern Conference. But uh, I have to talk about my guy, Victor Oladipo. He's been playing extremely well all season long. You know, he's been balling out. Shout-out to Vic. We spent some time together this summer in Africa You know, for the World Games, worked out a few times, and, and got to catch up for the first time in a while. But you could just kind of see the excitement on his face for the opportunity to you know, get new life, so to speak, leaving, th- leaving the thunder. Uh, obviously, his role was different there playing with Russ. His usage rate was down a little bit. And uh, he did a great job of getting himself in shape, you know, training. He spent some time in Miami uh, with some uh, guys out there that are very good. Uh, he spent some time you know, working on his body and working on his diet, working on his handle, his shot. And I took full advantage of his role. So shout out to my guy, Vic. He's playing extremely well and had a great, you know, first game against the Cavs. And I think you said that he's worthy worthy of an all-NBA selection. You know what, CJ? What Victor Oladipo has done is sensational, considering he completely changed his diet, his body, and he went from being a guy to the guy and it's very rare that you have a guy that's you know the second pick in the draft and totally reinvents himself we talk about overreacting to one game well we overreacted at least as a media to Victor Oladipo's start as an NBA player he goes to Orlando um, he's decent he's okay then he really struggles at times with OKC because he's playing off the ball and doesn't really have an opportunity to play make but then he goes to Indiana and now the ball's in his hands and he's so creative He's really smart. He understands spacing, how to pick and roll, when to throw the lob, when to pull up, and his handle's tighter, and he's quicker. He's just a more dynamic player, and all of that now has come into play, and I, and I think 
it is a legitimate thing to say that Victor Oladipo should be an all-NBA player, and that is with respect to the assortment of great guards this league has. Yeah, he's been terrific. He showed a little bit of everything, and I think one of the factors that's underrated in this is being wanted, being needed, and being loved. I think Indiana has empowered him. You know, having gone to Indiana University in his college days, he's, he feels back at home. He feels the love. And as you said before, playing with Russ, his usage rate wasn't as high. He was playing off the ball, spending some time in the corner having to catch and shoot. Whereas in Indiana, he's running some one, he's playing some two. A lot of plays are being drawn up for him. And the other factor is that a lot of people wrote off the Pacers when they made that trade. They said that, you know, it wasn't the best trade, you know. Indiana didn't really get what get what they should have gotten in it and, and kind of downplayed the fact that Indiana was getting a very, very well-rounded player in Oladipo and then a sleeper player in the big fella. The big fella is a dog, too, and low. Like, a lot of people don't understand. Sabonis can hoop. He's, he's skilled. He's polished. He's got mid-range games. He's got a little bit of everything. And I think he was a little upset with, at what uh, uh, Mr. Gilbert said about that trade, you know, some months back and how... He didn't feel like they got the best of it, and I think he took it out on them in game one. CJ, what I love about Victor is there is no fear there. He will come after you, and he will punish you. And he hit six threes, he has 32 points. He he was the best player on the floor with respect to LeBron. I mean, he was fantastic. Sabonis had a highlight-level dunk at the end of the game. They Not only did people write off the trade, they thought it was, like, shameful that Paul George goes to Oklahoma City and Indiana doesn't get back an all-star. And what they got back was an all-NBA player who's not even in his prime. Right. And I'm happy for him, man, because he's worked extremely hard. And I remember having some conversations with him about, you know, his role with the Pacers and what his expectations were. And you could just see the look in his eyes. He was looking forward to the opportunity and uh, wanted to prove a lot of people wrong, and he has. So shout-out to him. And I think there's a little bit of extra motivation for PG going into that Thunder game with him seeing how successful the Pacers were. And he took it out. He took it out on Utah. He was as efficient as, as I've seen him and even and coined himself a uh, playoff P. <laughs> he called himself playoff P before the game. He hit like seven, what did he hit, seven threes? Seven or eight threes. Yeah, he, he had eight threes. Paul George had eight threes. Eight for 11 from triples. Oof. Yeah, that, that's scary. I don't think, I don't think uh, people expected him to, to be that efficient from three. His, his three-point shot has gotten a lot better since last year. Uh, he was great in the playoffs in years past, but just his handle, his size, his ability to, you know, kind of get that shot off, you know, essentially over anyone is, is what makes uh, the Thunder a very, very dangerous team, you know, going forward. He shot 40% from three this year. Victor was 37. Victor also, by the way, improved his field goal percentage to, I think, about 48%. Both those guys are really efficient two-way players. I would argue, and we've talked about this, that Paul George is, not only is he an elite player, but is there a more, maybe Kevin Durant, like I don't like, who who is more skilled at 6'10 on both ends of the floor and that versatile and that dynamic than Paul George? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, they're running a, they're running a race. I think Durant's a little bit taller than him. KD's close, closer to seven foot but their skill set and ability to handle the ball shoot off the bounce catch and shoot fadeaways play in isolation KD's playing in more pick and rolls now with the Warriors in this playoff series against the Spurs so there's a lot of different unique skill sets they have and and having listened to the podcast uh Bill Simmons had with KD he was talking about the differences between him and Bron and the longevity and he said that Bron does a lot of stuff in the weight room you know he's he's 
the way he plays, he uses brute strength, brute force. He dunks on people. He's physically imposing. KD said he works on a lot of his skill stuff. He said he gets in the gym every day and he's working on skill stuff, you know, trying to master every shot from every angle, you know, the one-foot dirk stuff. You know, you watch his pregame warm-ups and how he's doing, a, like he's like a little ballerina, or a big ballerina, you know, spinning around on one foot, you know, similar to how Dirk and Nash used to do back in the day. Does that stuff work? Is that, does that stuff work? I think it's more mental, but just to kind of get your body prepared to, to shoot from different angles. You know, obviously, you know, Steph does some, some different type of stuff where he's shooting from half court. He's balancing on one leg, squatting down to the ground, coming up and shooting it. I think it's just to kind of wake the muscles up, uh, get that, get those glutes firing, get those hamstrings firing, understanding that you're about to go to uh, go into battle out there on the court and have to fight through screens, get hit by screens come off screens and be able to, you know, perform at a high level on both ends of the court. I think they just try to get their bodies ready and mentally seeing the ball go in off of those different angles, off of those different shots kind of helps you prepare. What What are some of the things you do with that? Like, are you somebody that is going in and doing these crazy drills an hour and a half before the game? Uh, everybody has different routines and, and warm-ups and things of that nature, but I usually start in close. Uh, I try to start in, you know, uh, right underneath the basket, shoot and kind of take a step back, inch my way out. And then I stop by the free throw line and shoot uh, shoot one shot from there. And then I do around the world before I go into my normal shooting routine, which consists of a lot of different jumpers, makes, catch and shoot, one dribble pull-ups, one dribble pull-ups right, left, snakes and, and pick and rolls, shooting step backs, shooting threes off the dribble, shooting threes off of screens. Just trying to replicate things that I actually do in the game to just kind of break a sweat, see the ball go in and kind of get mentally and physically ready for what's about to happen out there in the court. So I think it's... Player to player, it's different, and, and, and a lot of people ask about preparation for the playoffs, you know, how your day-to-day life changes. I think the biggest thing I've noticed over my five years is that you just kind of block out distractions. You take away a lot of distractions. You get, you get a little bit more sleep. You probably take uh, a longer nap, and there's a lot of idle time. So you're watching film. My routine is, you know, I get to practice early. I get treatment. I practice. I do some hip work. I do some some strength and conditioning work with my lower body, um, whether that be hip flexors, adductors, back, core, glutes. C- keep those firing, and then I go ice tub, steam room, shower, eat, do that type of stuff. Then I go home and watch, break down some more film uh, before I get ready to, you know, either watch one of my TV shows, spend some time with some family or loved ones, or just watch some other games, read a book, or or, or uh, just kind of lay down and just kind of relax and be present in the moment. Because a lot of times. People put too much pressure on themselves in these in these big games, whereas they have to understand it's just another game where there's more cameras, more lights, more people involved, but it's the same game you've been playing since you were six years old. You mean you don't just like go home and just kick it after a game? You don't, after the game ends, you do a little stretch and you just take your car home and have a little wine. That's not how it happens. No, man. After the game, <laughs> you, for one, you're replaying you're replaying everything in your head, every scenario, every situation. So last game, I had a turnover with fifty. I don't know, 44 seconds left on the clock. It was a big possession. We were uh, down one and had a three on two. Nurk was running to my right. ET's on my left. I should have kept my dribble alive. I jumped I jumped to try to throw the pass, and Drew Holiday made a great play. So that was my only turnover of the game, but it was crucial in a crucial moment. So just thinking about those types of plays, and obviously learning from them, how can I get better? How can I help our team win? You know, a two, three-point game. You're thinking about all the little things that impacted that game, whether it be a, a missed screen, somebody didn't call a screen out, lack of execution out of a timeout. So you kind of drive yourself crazy over those little things. Then you refocus, watch the film, and realize, okay, we can improve on these areas. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it was.
As an NBA player, you guys know I travel all the time. And I want to give a shout out to one company making traveling easier and more stylish than ever before. Away. Away was founded by two friends from New York who found themselves at JFK with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea. Luggage with power. Soon after, the Away carry-on was born. Away makes first-class luggage at coach prices. From carry-on sizes that are compliant with all major U.S. airlines to extended stay, large sizes. You can get the luggage you want for whatever trips you're taking. Away makes their products with regular travelers in mind. They ask thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs people most about their luggage. Then, they designed a bag that solved a few old problems, like sticky wheels, and a few new ones too, like dead cell phones or bags that are too heavy to carry up a broken escalator at an airport. When I got my suitcase, I was really impressed by the power source actually. It works and can charge my phone, which is super annoying if you forget to pack your charger. Plus, the suitcase came with a removable and washable laundry bag. That comes in handy if you work out when you travel. But here's the best part. Our listeners can get $20 off any suitcase. You just need to go to awaytravel.com backslash pull up, all one word, and use promo code pull up during checkout. So once again, for $20 off a suitcase, go to awaytravel.com backslash pull up and enter promo code pull up, one word, at checkout. There are two ways to look at the playoffs and the postseason experience. One is if you have the previous experience, it's going to lift you up and, and allow you to, to learn from things. But Philadelphia, and we discussed it, I think, a couple of weeks ago, how they would be going into the playoffs. What they did, I know it's one game, and I don't want to overreact, but what they did and how loose they were, that to me is the difference. Win or lose, their ability – to, to run, control tempo, I mean, they are really, really good. I, they haven't lost since, like, the Reagan administration. So what's, for Philadelphia, what's the balance for them? Or will it, does it ever catch up to you if you don't have the experience? Because really, that roster, the core of it is just a bunch of young guys, especially now Markel Fultz, who haven't played in the playoffs. I think they're learning to fly, man. They got some veteran presence in the locker room. Uh, JJ's obviously been there before. Marco Bellinelli's been in the league for a long time, played with the Spurs, has that championship pedigree to where they can kind of explain certain things to them and break it down. But I think the fact that they haven't had that experience before, they just going out there and hooping, man. Ben Simmons is out there hooping, running up and down the court, making highlight plays, dunking, yelling, playing off the crowd. And I think they're a scary team to, to face. Once Embiid comes back, that changes the entire dynamic of their team. And as their coach Brett Brown said uh, earlier in the week, uh, he's the difference maker. He's what takes their team from very, very good to great. Obviously, they, they've had the win streak without him and with him uh, throughout this season. But when you have that post presence in the playoffs, it makes everything better because it slows down the game. You can play in a half court. It really does. You can kind of wear out the other team. And that kind of opens up the cutters. When J.J.'s cutting, when Markel's cutting, uh, even when Ben's cutting, it's a different dynamic when you got a, an all-star center down there kind of holding things down in the paint. So I think the Sixers are a good team. They're a scary team. And as the, as the playoffs continues, their lack of experience will improve because they're getting experience on the fly. Right. CJ, think about who they've now gotten since, let's say, the all-star break. They get Markel Fultz back, the number one pick in the draft. He's a triple-double in 24 minutes. Then they go out and pick up Ilyasova and Bellinelli, who combined for 42 on 7 of 11 threes in game one. That team went from being pretty good and consistent, a little up and down, to an offensive juggernaut by adding three 
significant weapons. And the whole, the whole thought process, and I, I want to ask you, what's when a guy like, let's focus on Fultz, when he comes in and, you know, he could kind of rock the boat or he could blend in, and he's blended in. And you mentioned a couple weeks ago that you really liked him, and I'm curious if it's if you surprised that he hasn't been like the prototypical number one pick, just give me the ball and get out the way. No, I really like Fultz. He's a mature young man. Obviously, he's very young, but he understands the importance of teamwork, the, the, the importance of people liking you and having to work for what you want in life. And I think there was an article that I released that talked about him in college. Uh, he was he was hurt for some of his uh, freshman season in college, and he wasn't afraid to get water for other players. He wasn't afraid to set the table you know, at dinner, at team meals. He wasn't afraid to cook for his teammates. You know, He's a selfless guy who – is lovable and people enjoy being around him. So he took some of those habits that he that he you know maintained and you know got from his uh, his childhood in Maryland, a DC area, a DMV area, with the, how he was raised by his mother, and took that to college. You and that DMV, you love the DMV. You know, the DMV is a is a great great area for basketball. You know, almost as good as the Midwest, but that's another story. <laughs> but uh, no, it's better. It's better than the Midwest. I mean, the overall talent probably is better because it's bigger. It's a it's a larger population. You know, where I'm from. It's not. It's not a. It's per not a capita, huge city though, per capita. We only got seventy-seven thousand people in Canton, and then you go outside of that, Columbus, Cleveland. You know, we got some talent. Shout out to Trey Burke, some talent out there. Okay. But <laughs> I think he's he's such a lovable guy. He works hard. He does things the right way, and he's he's enjoyable to be around. That his teammates kind of kind of gravitated toward him. You know, they rooted for him. They were happy for his success. And I think JJ talked about it as well. They got a genuinely good group of young guys mixed with with older guys and a great coaching staff to where there's no jealousy. They were happy for him when he got a triple-double. You know, T.J. McConnell might have lost some minutes with, with Fultz coming back, but he still seems to be playing at an elite level. He's still defending, hitting mid-range shots, and everyone's still getting along. There's no egos involved. And I think that's what's really important in this league is to have those friendships and everybody to be focused on the same goal, which is to win, because that's what's remembered forever. Philly's number one, just a little context, the number one in the league uh, in opponent field goal percentage this year. You mentioned McConnell. You know they he he's the one that ultimately loses out on PT because of Fultz. He was like the first guy out on the floor celebrating with Markel. That 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 says a lot about this team. You know you know you don't. I don't think people understand the importance. You don't necessarily have to be best friends with everybody, but if there's a mutual respect, that that plays a big role. I, I you know I spent some time earlier in the year. Uh, about a day, day and a half with the Sixers. And that building is really healthy. And regardless of how they finish this year, don't you feel like that's one of the, three, let's say, three or four really dangerous teams in future uh, of this league? Yeah, I think they have a really good home court advantage. You know, East Coast fans in general, especially Philly fans, love all sports, not just basketball, baseball, and football. You see the love. Um they show their teams. But overall, looking at how their roster has come together, the draft picks they've gotten, uh, trust the process, man. They, they took their time. They, they went through some L's. They went through some tough times with draft picks getting hurt, you know, in their first year. And now everything has turned for the better. 50-plus wins, 18, 17, 18-game 18 win streaks. Um, they are doing some things that I don't even think they expected to do this fast. Yeah, that's right. One thing – I didn't expect, you know, I don't want to just overreact and we keep talking about game one, but Indiana, what they did at Cleveland, can, how does Cleveland find a way to, I guess, learn from that? Because they're, if, you, if you take away LeBron 
They went 23 of 61. That non, you know, everybody but LeBron. So what does Cleveland learn from game one? They're booed off their floor essentially or during the game. I mean, just give me a sense of like what the thought process is in that locker room for a team that's won a championship and yet appears to be vulnerable. Yeah, I think there's no panic in them. Obviously, it starts with LeBron. He's their leader. He's the guy who's been through it all, seven straight trips to the finals. There's no panic in him. He understands what's at stake. He's lost a, a game one before, you know, back in, I think, 2012 against the Knicks when Melo had 40 on him. He's seen this before. So he's going to figure out, you know, how he can be more aggressive in the first quarter. He only took four shots in the first quarter, and at that point they were down by 33 to, I don't know, 17 or 18. They were down so. 21. 21 in the first quarter, see. Yeah, Ty Lue said he needs to be more aggressive in the first quarter. So I think that's that's the difference you'll see. He'll make sure the game's close. He'll he'll assert himself earlier. I think other guys will step up and be more comfortable. Think about it. There's some players who are playing in their first ever playoff game. Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance. Yeah. J.R. Smith's been there before. I think his leash is getting a little bit longer. They're allowing him to go be himself, you know, closer to J.R. in New York to, to where he can take those fadeaways and, and, and do things of that nature. But I think I think overall – They'll be all right. It's one game. You can't overreact over one game. Um, you have arguably the best player in the NBA, so that's that's definitely a factor. And looking at their roster, I think they'll be all right. Yeah, but here's my thing with Cleveland is we expect them to turn on that switch. They they never turned it on. I, I don't I don't know if they can. Um, I know that they're not going to get blown out every game, and I know they made it a game, but that that they were dominated for 48 minutes essentially but defensively even and this is this surprised me but even with the hill nance and clarkson additions they they were not a very good defensive team they're bottom five essentially across the board in defensive efficiency throughout the entire league so is it a matter of just like flipping a switch or just saying lebron just carry us like because it, it doesn't seem like it's that simple right now yeah i think they do need to get better defensively but here's what people fail to realize They've been historically bad on defense the last five years or four years. Like, they haven't been a great defensive team. Their offense is what's carried them, and regardless of how bad it was during the regular season, they only gave up 97 or 98 points. They didn't give up a lot of points. Their problem is that they scored 78 points as a team, and you can't really beat anybody in a playoff game scoring 78 points, especially at home. So I think offensively, guys will make more shots. LeBron was distributing. I think he had another triple-double. Uh, guys will make more shots. They'll probably insert some shooting, you know, off the bench, you know, going forward and try to figure out ways to to have the, the floor more spread. But the biggest thing will be who steps up outside of LeBron in love and the containment of Victor Oladipo. They're going to be watching film, figuring out ways to get the ball out of his hands. They threw some double teams at him late last year. I mean, late down the stretch to kind of experiment with that. And I think going forward, uh, they'll be more aggressive in his pick and roll coverages. See, I look at Kevin Love, and, and, and I want to say, you know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he had 17 rebounds, so that's that's a big plus. But he also goes 3 of 8 from the floor. Why can't Cleveland do for him what Brad Stevens does for Al Horford? I mean, they're not entirely dissimilar. Both of them can shoot it. They're kind of below-the-rim guys. But Horford seems to get such better looks, and LeBron's going to get everybody great looks. But it just seems to me like Kevin Love, for as good an offensive player as he can be, he's so limited off the ball, and there's so little action for him. Do you, do you see what I'm saying, or is that is that unfair? I see, I see what you're saying, but you're looking at two different teams um, and two different points in their 
in their seasons. LeBron is very ball dominant. He handles the ball. He distributes it. He's essentially the point guard of the team, and he controls who eats, and he makes the decisions. So for Kevin Love to only get seven or eight shots, that means one of two things. Indiana did a great job of running him off the line because they run a lot of pick and pop for him. And two, he didn't have many post-up opportunities because of either the offense, the way the game was going, or them being down by so much, they probably went away from throwing the ball directly in the post to him. You look at the Boston Celtics team, they're without Kyrie, they're without Hayward, and... Horford is on an equal opportunity offense. There's flow to it. They run San Antonio strong, San Antonio weak. They run a lot of plays to where there's constant movement, ball movement, and player movement. And they allow Al Horford to initiate offense. He runs some point forward where he brings the ball up and runs a little horns action where he's initiating the offense and coming off ball screen. So they have a little more creative freedom in Boston where it's equal opportunity. A lot of guys eat. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, Horford. A lot of guys are able to eat. They even put the ball in Shane Larkin's hands and let him get get jiggy with it. So I think that's the difference between Cleveland. Well, he had yeah, he had four turnovers in the first half. He was getting jiggy with it. Too many pocket <laughs> passes for me, man. Like Shane, just shoot the ball. Yeah. I mean, I think he will as he as he progresses forward in this series. He'll get more comfortable out there and shoot the ball. But I think those are the two main differences. And looking at the box score, you you bet your bottom dollar that Kevin Love shoots more than seven seven shots uh, next game. Probably will get that in the first half. I just God, like I, I really want to say LeBron is not going to lose in round one or they're going to go to the finals. But I just see a team that is just has no identity. You. you LeBron should be as ball dominant as he is, but part of that too is just like guys have to make shots. Like how many times is he going to get a guy a great look and they just don't make shots? Like, and that goes back to the whole make or miss league. But part of that is Indiana. And I, I think they did a hell of a job of running guys off the line. And it, I mean, that's, that, that can be very frustrating because you're not going to get those same spot up looks. And, and I do, I do think that the East is relatively open, but, I guess I just get frustrated, you know, with Cleveland because I think I want them to be better and I think they should be better. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see moving forward. And, you know, remember this conversation, man. You said that you, you don't – you hate to see LeBron lose in the first round and you think he might. There's a reason why he's been to seven straight finals, man. I like the end- – No, I don't think he will, though. <laughs> okay. I was just, just going to say, well, let's, let's revisit this in a week and uh, let's see if you have that same energy because, <laughs> you know, this is a guy who – it's arguably the best player in the world. He's gotten to seven straight finals. You think he's not going to figure this out? I think he's going to take some some time to break down film, figure out how he can be more assertive, and figure out how to empower the rest of his teammates. But we'll have to revisit this next week because we are out of time on Pull Up. We want to thank all our listeners for tuning in once again. We will be taking questions at some point. We'll be continuing to, re- to pay attention to the feedback you guys are giving us. Obviously, basketball insight lifestyle what it's like to be in the league what it's like to prepare for the playoffs things of that nature but until then rip city i appreciate you guys follow the show at pull up pod on twitter facebook instagram follow me at 3j mccollum at cj mccollum and jordan they can follow you as well right i am at schultz underscore report and cj um i just want to say best of luck man because i know you want those doves No, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. We're looking forward to a very, very competitive series. The energy will be high. People will be out there in full force in Rip City. Don't worry. We got you guys. As I said on IG, buildings that lie so exposed to weather need a good foundation. Remember that. And don't forget to pull up. up.